0: Hello, and welcome to Inside Medicine. I'm Dr. Jordan Schlain, founder of Private Medical, practicing physician, and someone very interested in what science can tell us about how to better live our lives. Today, I'm joined by renowned gastroenterologist, microbiome expert, and distinguished professor at UCLA, Dr. Emron Mayer. He is the author of The Gut Immune Connection. We will discuss how different diets transmit health benefits to the mind and body, time-restricted eating, and the positive effects of a socially interactive meal. Let's get into it. Welcome, Dr. Mayer. It's a pleasure to be on this show, and uh, thanks for inviting me. The microbiome represents trillions of bacteria that live in our large intestine in a commensural arrangement. That is, we provide them a warm, nutrient-rich place to live, and in turn, they help our bodies break down fiber and provide us with nutrients and metabolites critical for health. Emron, you found yourself at the white-hot center of this new science where the microbiome in the gut is actually connected to the brain, to the immune system. Maybe you could give us a little bit of a, of a journey of how you went from standard Western medicine gastroenterologist to a microbiome specialist?
1: Yeah, I should probably preface it. Probably I was never really a standard Western gastroenterologist because from the beginning of my career, I was always interested in brain body interactions. So, for a long time, you know, several decades, we studied just brain gut interactions, bi directional interactions, how the brain talks to the gut and the gut talks to the brain. And at the time, at the beginning of my you know, fellowship, and then junior faculty year. Um, um, I, I was sort of happy with that topic. It was not very popular, but I, I felt this could be really well studied in a disease called irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. And at the time, and for a long time, this was really the only entity that was considered a a brain gut or brain gut microbiome disorder. So it's almost now 10 years ago, seven, 10 years ago, um the microbiome science exploded on on the on the scientific horizon we were slow to kind of respond to the initial publications but then did our first study in this space on on human on healthy human subjects and found that manipulating the, the the gut microbiome with a with a probiotic um you know consortium of of microorganisms that we were able to change systems within the brain. These were healthy people, so we can't say if this had any potential therapeutic effects, uh, but it did affect systems in the brain that have to do with uh, threat appraisal, um, salience assessment. The the initial enthusiasm really included all the the major brain mental uh, disorders, psychiatry, and, and the neurology from neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's to um, emotional disorders, uh, depression, anxiety, developmental disorders, autism spectrum. Uh, so it will remain to, to be seen, you know, in what role the microbiome really plays on and these microbiome brain interactions play in these disorders. If we still don't, the big question is always the causality because many of these studies are association studies, like you take a population, let's say with depression, they meet the diagnostic criteria, and then you look at their gut microbiome, and then you find a difference to a population of healthy control subjects. And then initially the mistake was made to assume that this is a causal relationship. I, I would say we're still at a, we're sort of edging closer to that point where we can say, okay, you know, an altered microbiome is clearly a risk factor for developing Parkinson's disease, but the final proof for that is still has to be determined.
0: How do you square the the rise of these diseases and and the rise of change in diet?
1: I mean, that's obviously a whole topic by itself that could talk for an hour at least. I, I think a, a byproduct of the microbiome science, certainly, you know, for myself as a gastroenterologist who has never gotten any training in in nutrition and and diet and it's always looked down upon uh, on on the dietitian advice you know do you get enough protein and so this whole focus on macronutrients and then you know micronutrients do so you get enough vitamins i just don't think that that's a major issue for us in the western world anymore I mean, you know if if anything you have to worry are, are people consuming too much protein like all the people that are in Work out in gyms they want to build their muscles and you know overdose on, on protein supplements and um, mm. so but what has happened with the diet you know we're focused on that aspect that we think plays the major role in uh, transmitting this health benefit of a you know traditional Mediterranean or any kind of similar predominantly plant-based diet so the question then is, What's what's in that diet that that transmits that? Um, is it you know uh, just it, it sounds healthier to eat seventy five percent uh, plant based foods, fruits and vegetables. Certainly, everybody enjoys this when they go to Italy and travel um, and have good memories about that kind of a diet and where they felt better. But in the meantime, we know scientifically there's probably two major components that transmit that health benefit. So one is clearly the large variety of different fiber molecules that's contained if you are on a diet that is high in a variety of, of different plants, um, fruits and vegetables. And we know the, the health benefit comes from these very large molecules. It's a similarity to the fiber molecules that are too large to be absorbed in our small intestine. We don't have the mechanisms in our small intestine to absorb those uh, intact. So they all go down into the large intestine where they're broken down by the microbes uh, and provide both a, a benefit for microbial uh, health, um, ecosystem diversity, and abundance of um, of health-promoting microbes. But the microbes also break down these molecules into substances that are then being absorbed and get into our systemic circulation and exert health benefits um, on pretty most of our organs, from the immune system, the the systems
0: in the gut, um, but also all the way to the liver, to the brain. I think what a lot of the listeners really want to know, kind of in brass tacks form, is like, what should we be eating? What shouldn't we be eating? When should we eat? And there's a thousand fads and a thousand diets out there, and they all come and go, it seems to me, and and again there are guilty pleasures like my wife and I we love our chocolate so you can't say never eat chocolate because you know or or even occasional ice cream or gelato but but what are the things that are genu- genuinely bad for us that 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 harm the microbiome
1: picking up where where you left off with of the chocolate it's it's certainly chocolate by itself is, is not such a bad thing because um you know the cacao that is an uh, essential ingredient of chocolate particularly of dark chocolate is a very health-promoting substance with very high concentrations of these, this polyphenol the, the group of flavonoids. So you know, actually eating supplements with with cacao in it and with flavonoids is a health-promoting thing to do. A general aspect of our unhealthy food components is the sugar that's added to the chocolate to make it uh, bring it up to the taste preference of people in in the U.S. Pr- primarily because our sugar preference is way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's dysregulated. Uh, like everything is, is, is way sweeter as if you, you know, travel in other parts of the world where uh, the same ice cream, the same chocolate is not as sweet, uh, always consumed in very small, in much smaller amounts. So if, if you want to do something, you know, simple, straightforward, um, minimize sugar and and not just, uh, which is the easy one, like adding the sugar to your, cappuccino the the two teaspoons or sweets where where we know this is sugar but also the hidden sugars like like all these products that have uh, high fructose corn syrup mixed into it from ketchup
0: or they have natural cane juice or that's still just added sugar so i think it's all the same stuff
1: hidden sugars which are really abundant in our diet it's it's not by coincidence because like the the high fructose corn syrup is subsidized heavily by the government so a lot of companies use that as a like a filler for their you know for their regular food i mean there's no need to add sugar to ketchup for example um but it's being done because it's you know it's it's cheap and it adds something that doesn't really taste sweet but it that, that people have gotten used to
0: what about all these other kind of i'm going to i'm going to put in air quotes detergents because normally we don't think about eating detergents, but we're eating these chemicals that have some effect on our microbiome's ability to function. So if if we take sugar and put it over there, okay, that's bad, don't do that. Can you talk a little about these other chemicals and how they negatively affect the ability for the microbiome to function?
1: With our super processed or ultra processed food, there's a lot of these chemicals that uh, were not part of it 75 years ago, uh, or they're certainly not part of it in, in some other parts of the world, in the in the, in the dietary habits, um, which you know you could include gluten in that as well, because I mean the high amounts of gluten that are added to food um, to improve the, the you know the, the the taste and consistency of different breads is not um, something that's that's added in other parts of the world. You could say gluten itself is not bad for you, probably for most people, unless you have celiac disease. But if you get it in excessive amounts, together with all the other chemicals that are being added to this food, then then it is bad for your gut health and probably for, for gut gut microbial health. I mean, I would say the, the the simplest way is is really to look at which foods are are ultra processed, uh, like all the bars, for example. You know, like you could eat most of the things that are in in protein bars or uh, bars that are sold in in um, in gyms for energy bars or most of that, this is ultra processed food. And most of this you could get by other ways. You know, we've, so we've talked about the sugar. There's clearly other things. Um, so fat has sort of gotten, you know, it's gone back and forth. First there was, uh, you know, the Atkins diet, and then there came the keto diet, it being promoted as the ultimate fat burning diet. Um, and obviously, you will, you will burn fat cells for energy, and you will lose weight if you work out, you know, on a keto diet, but it's, it's something that is, is bad for your microbial. So you essentially take out the stuff that's good for your microbes. Um, and if you want to lose weight quickly, or get your hemoglobin A1C down quickly. It may be a good idea to go on a four-week uh, keto diet, you know, and and exercise. But it's not something you want to be on 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 it for for the long term because you don't want to starve your your microbes with all the negative downstream effects. You know, I mean, the microbes produce most of your the anti-inflammatory molecules uh, in in your gut in your body. The short-chain fatty acids, butyrate. You don't want to take that away. This medicine. Or this pharmacy of of, of your body to, to fight inflammation, and so this has happened with several diets in in IBS field, uh, the low FODMAP diet, a similar kind of phenomenon. You take out, you know, complex carbohydrates, um, it will decrease fermentation in in your gut, and you will have less bloating. But it's not something you want to stay on because it's not a, a healthy diet. So this is what I always use as a as a, as a recommendation pay attention to what you eat, uh, when you eat it, and where, where does it come from. And in general, if you eat what's best for your microbial health and the health of your microbial ecosystem, it will automatically be the best for your gut health and for your overall health.
0: But, but when you say pay attention to what you eat, when you eat, and where it comes from, I think those are great heuristics. With which to every time you look at the food in front of you is to try to ask yourself those questions. So it's one forty-eight PM uh, Pacific Standard Time as we stand here today. I have not had breakfast and I have not had lunch, um, but I did have a big dinner last night. And so I, I I'm really not even hungry. My body is just my mom and my sister. We're all kind of like we don't we're not big breakfast eaters. I could eat breakfast if I wanted to, but if I skipped it, I didn't even notice. And it's it's almost two o'clock, and I haven't even noticed now. The question is that since I have been now on this, you talked about uh, when to eat and uh, what to eat. So I want to get on the, the when to eat. And I know that time-restricted diets probably have some biologic and evolutionary benefit. What should be the first thing I put in my mouth <laughs> since I've been fasting? And and after reading your book, I thought, well, I'll eat an apple because it's 70 calories. It's half the fiber I need for my entire day. So it's kind of like pretty easy for me to find the rest of that fiber if I'm eating a plant-based diet. But, but how should people think about a, uh, this time-restricted stuff, and then specifically after they've done that, what should go in first, or does it matter?
1: So time-restricted eating has sort of a, a long-known benefit. So uh, like when I was, you know, uh, in, in in training as a gastroenterologist, uh, I did research on gastrointestinal motility, and so there was one thing that was discovered at the time was this migrating motor complex, this motor contractile pattern in your GI tract, it starts in the esophagus and goes all the way down into your large intestine um, when the gut is empty. So your entire gut um, system switches to a completely different um, modus operandi. And um, what this motor pattern does, every 90 minutes, you have this high amplitude contraction, a band of contractions. Moving all everything down in front of it, all the way down in, in, into the colon. So it's been called the housekeeper, um, uh, you know, of, of the gut. Um, what we know today is that this contractile wave really reestablishes the normal um, balance between microbial abundances, which should be low, very low, in the in the proximal small intestine. I mean, there's a few microbes but would gradually increase into your ileum and then obviously the largest concentrations and abundances you would have in the in the colon if that pattern if you eat and and snack all day long that pattern will somehow be disturbed so then when you've don't put food in or don't have food in it will reestablish that that pattern so you have your own cleansing mechanisms so a lot of people get Excited about all kinds of cleansing diets and things. Well, the best cleansing diet is actually this time-restricted eating diet, or the, if you are up to it,
0: fasting longer. How long? How, what's the longest you should fast before you're doing damage?
1: I think that depends. I mean, if people do it in spiritual settings, you know, and just drink water during the time, I mean, you can go pretty easily for a week. I personally, I strongly believe that w- what's practical, you know, for people for for working people they have a regular schedule to do these 16-8, you know, keep the gut empty for 16 hours. And that uh, time window, you can adjust that time window. For most people, it would be, you know, having dinner at 7. So you have to then calculate, we'll take about, if it's a light dinner, we'll take about an hour for that food to have cleared your your, your stomach and then proximal small intestine. Um, and then, you know, you would have your next meal, your, your first meal the next day, um, around noontime, plus or minus one hour. Um, and and if you're busy in the morning, just as what you said just now, we, we've experimented with this during the pandemic at home. If you're busy on Zoom calls, uh, you don't even notice it. Also, you don't have to worry that you can't go on your morning run or workout routine. So you're not going to uh, you know, faint when you do that because it's It's surprising how well the body can do this without having sugar you know as as often been promoted you need uh, easily digestible carbohydrates in your in, in your system to to exercise it's not true and then you ask what's the what's the first meal you know what should that be I can't give you the scientific evidence for that but we have, i recommend several of these bowls in 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 my book in the in the last in the in the last chapter with the recipes and these are bowls that have a lot of nuts and seeds, and um, you know, if, if you have your teaspoon of chia seeds and flax seeds, you get more fiber than you think you, you you're ingesting. You know, and um, you also get with your with many of your like sunflower seeds or some uh, pumpkin seeds, you get a lot of high caloric uh, nutrients into your gut. But it's plant-based oil, so it's not not harmful. Um, and you can almost, you you can adjust these bowls. that it's almost like a keto diet, a healthy plant-based keto diet of seeds and nuts and uh, some fruit in it. And so we've done that. And so we can extend that period where your system is not dependent on, on sugar um, for another several hours, you know, un- until you have your dinner. So these, these bowls are satiating because there is, you know, plant-based oils and fats in it. You extend a period where your metabolism has to rely mainly on burning on burning fat in order to get, get you the energy. As I said, I can't prove that. There's no scientific study on that. But from whatever I know and have read about, this makes a lot of sense to me.
0: What is the benefit of fermented foods and, and, and what are the common ones that we should be thinking about incorporating into our diet?
1: There's been a recent study, really interesting, from the Sonnenberg lab at Stanford, who also have been promote always have been promoting the, the high-fiber diet, the plant-based, you know, high-fiber diet. But they found in a comparative study that people that were eating a, uh, a diet high in naturally fermented foods uh, containing anything from, you know, pickles, to kefir, to uh, kombucha, uh, other yogurts, uh, they actually had a greater benefit in terms of their um, their, their gut microbial ecosystem, diversity and abundances, relative abundances, than the ones that ate a um, a high-fiber diet. So this was really surprising. um, And... I'm sure this group and others will follow this up. I'm sure this is also welcome news to the whole probiotic industry. That will say, "Oh, we have always said this. You know, probiotics are, uh, but you know, are, are the most important thing for your gut health." But then there was one thing on that study that maybe some people didn't didn't notice. It it, it wasn't um, the increased uh, diversity and ecosystem health was not. Fed by the the actual organism that came from the fermented foods, this this diet drew in other microbes that uh, either came from the environment or from um, not the fermentation but were part of this you know these these kinds of food items um, that were drawn in, and they contributed to this increased diversity. So you wouldn't get this with probiotic pills, most likely. We don't know that. So I, I think what's really important to confirm that finding that if you on a highly varied fermented food diet that that comes from naturally fermented foods, that you get a health benefit that you may not get with, uh, with the, the, the traditional available probiotics. The One thing, just like with, with fiber and with polyphenols, the, the high variety of these items is probably also a very important part. You know, eating just or consuming one, just eating kefir or just eating pickles, will probably not be a, a very good intervention to improve your your your, your gut microbiome. Um, but it's the variety of these different um, you know food components that probably uh, convey the health benefit. I, I think this is something that is very similar to you know traditional chinese medicine that never sort of identifies one substance or one receptor it's always this combinatorial effects of multiple things interacting with each other
0: yeah it's funny it's funny it seems like everybody these days wants like the shortcut the simple answer i think the pandemic made us all realize that we have an expiration date that we may we may <laughs> we may or not have ever thought about before um, and so a lot of people are looking for the the fountain of youth and the the silver bullet and I think that, you know, we eat, you know, up to three times a day, sometimes a lot more. It seems like what we put in our body is is really critical to enabling the, the cellular machinery to be optimal, whether it's mitochondria that make the power, cellular senescence, autophagy. There's all these different things internally. H- how do you think... Uh, about like diet and longevity, I, I would like to live to eighty nine point nine and then dive die something quickly. I, I don't want to be tethered to the medical system for decades with these chronic ailments. But where does where does healthy diet fit into that? And then the part two is, I I'm going to self admit that I ate so much junk food as a kid. I mean, I I was the worst. Uh, I ate snowballs and Twinkies and, and 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 it was only until in my forties where I snapped up and said, what what am I doing? So I've been eating very healthy for the last 15 years. And I wonder how much damage has been done and and how much, you know, as as a middle-aged person, diet really matters to kind of a health span and even life extension for that matter.
1: I have to, you know, say right up front that I I totally agree agree with your assessment. I mean, it's it's healthy longevity that should really be the goal uh, for a variety of reasons, both personal but also for society. I mean, why why should society spend enormous amounts of money to keep people, you know, alive in a state that is not enjoyable and uh, is is not healthy? I, I think we're gradually moving to that point. Um, and also, you know, one comment what, what you said about you know, can you reverse <clears throat> the damage that's been done early? So I I grew up in a in, in a family of confectioners and. You know, producing chocolates and cakes and all kinds of <laughs> and cookies. So I, I overdosed on sugary foods probably for the first, um, until I started to move away and, and went to medical school, you know, the, the first <laughs> 20 years of my life. And other than damage to my teeth, you know, which is undeniable, um, I don't believe that I, you know, that any there was any carryover of, of, of that. Bad early programming, um, and there's there's several studies, you know, that have looked at what fa- if if you pay attention to a few a, a handful of factors uh, at your I think the study was in your fifties, you know, how much disease free longevity can you add uh, to uh, to your life if you start at fifty, not smoking, regular moderate exercise, healthy diet, a healthy state of mind. But there's there's a few things that have been shown in in studies these lifestyle modifications, regardless of how you lived your first um, part of your life, you know, have a major beneficial effect. So this is always something that I tell all, all my patients that say, you know, because initially we thought, well, there was this concept the microbiome is programmed early in life, the first three years of your life, and then you're stuck with it. You know, no matter what you do is that's not the case. I think we, we, we cannot restore, you know, in both of our cases, we probably cannot restore something that um, humans that live in, in the Rift Valley of East Africa or on the Orinoco River, um, who live from, you know, totally natural food and, you um, we can, we can probably never get to that level again in terms of gut microbial diversity, but we probably don't need to because we're not dependent on these kind of food items that these individuals are totally dependent on. So, But I, but I think within the bandwidth of a healthy microbial diversity, I, I think we can move from the bottom of that bandwidth all the way to the top. Which gives us these advantages in terms of healthy longevity
0: well listen uh one one bonus question here is I'm going to the French laundry tonight for my friend's fiftieth birthday party, and I know that's going to be a big meal i haven't eaten anything yet, should I just not eat anything till the French laundry or is there something I can put in my stomach that will protect me against all those crazy rich foods I 'm about to eat um
1: yeah, I wouldn't worry about this I mean you know meals are definitely to be enjoyed in. In a fun and socially conducive atmosphere that will stimulate your emotional state, and a positive emotional state will overcome any any negative um, effects that you will have, you know, from eating not the healthiest food. So I would say there's a big influence of your brain, of your emotions, both positive and negative, on what goes on in your gut. There's a, there's a lot of evidence that the the benefits, the the early studies about the benefits of the Traditional Mediterranean diet was really related to the social interactions of people in in Crete and on on the in, on the Greek islands or in, or in Italy, and we were there recently in Italy and have enjoyed that aspect of the social interactions that Italians have when they have their their, their dinner.
0: Well, listen, Dr. Meyer, I want to say thank you so much for this podcast. I will say that uh, if you want to learn more about uh, Dr. Meyer. Uh, You can find him uh, at emrinmayer.com. We'll have that prominently posted on the podcast. He just sent out, uh, while I was talking, I got a take your optimal gut personality plan test, which I'm not sure if that was timed for this podcast, but it worked just great. (laughs) Uh, It comes out weekly, maybe a little bit less frequently than that. But if you're interested in the microbiome and you want to stay current and up to date, I strongly recommend you subscribe to his Uh, to his blog. I read it, and you even have a podcast as well. So thank you so much, uh, distinguished professor from UCLA in the microbiome. I hope to stay close to you and learn as you learn, because this is slowly unfolding. Thanks, Jordan. It was a pleasure
1: to be on your show, and thanks for inviting me. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime.